This is the Aussie Animal Show on Triple A Radio. My name's Rob Armstrong. Welcome to the wildlife. We're again chatting with Janine Duffy from Koala Clancy Foundation, a group of koala advocates here in Victoria are banding together to let the state government know that time is running out. Our Victorian koalas are in crisis. Let's hear from Janine. Janine, thank you for your time again. Great to see you, Rob. What are you doing Friday? Tell us all about it. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be a big day. (laughs) So at 12 noon outside Dan Andrews electorate office, which is in Noble Park. Uh, we're getting a gathering of people there on the back of my ute, which is called One Koala. We'll have speakers talking to the crowd uh, about what urgently needs to be done to save koalas in Victoria. Let's not mess around. Victorian koalas are in crisis at the moment. They're, the government doesn't know what to do with them, and so they're turning a blind eye to the issue sweeping it under the carpet. Well, (laughs) thank goodness for organisations like Koala Clancy Foundation and uh, all your supporters, that isn't going to happen. We hope not. Uh, I mean, we've we've all tried everything that we can think of, Rob, and we've tried asking nicely. We've tried sending letters. uh, We've tried begging. And everyone we talk to is in the same boat. They're, They're just meeting you know deaf ears and closed eyes uh, at um, the state government and the department and I mean we there's a there comes a point where you just have to take it to the public and say guys support us please because we know Victorians love koalas and we know they want koalas to survive and we have a chance here in Victoria to make sure that happens but at the moment, it's not looking good. No, no, not at all. And don't hold out for the new koala strategy to give any solutions because, honestly, we, everyone's been told by members of the department they have no clue how to handle the situation. They're committed to the logging industry and the koala is just in the way of dropping trees. That's horrific. There's animal cruelty issues that we can't overlook um, that are going on there and they're government sanctioned, I'm afraid. The fact that the koala is seen as a problem for the Victorian government over there in the bluegum plantations, you know, doesn't mean they shouldn't be looked after and treated decently. You know, are we, are we a modern society? Are we a wealthy society? You know, do do we do we give away subsidies to to timber companies and mining companies? You know, if if money is what's required to make a decent plan, I think we've got it. The government's got it. It's just spending it on things that you know don't matter to us. Perhaps not uh, bailing out Vic forests would be a good start. <laughs> a great start. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Taking tax from the multinationals who don't pay any. Yeah, 
but too, too they easy. Just, <laughs> <laughs> they just need a bit of political will to save these koalas and treat them decently. Now we don't believe that there are as many koalas in Victoria as the government is saying there is anyway. I firmly believe uh, that there are very few native populations of koalas in Victoria and these small pockets of remnant koalas need to be protected at all cost. The numbers of koalas in Victoria, Rob, that the Victorian government claims are just way out. I, they're far too high. And I would like to say to the Victorian government, show us some of these koalas because we don't know where they are and we're in the best place to, to know that and, and it's wrong. So everyone I speak to who's in the koala world says that those numbers are inflated, ridiculously so. So we're not talking about an animal that is thriving and abundant as the Victorian government keeps on claiming it is. We're talking about an animal that is vulnerable and is possibly even endangered in this state. Of course it is. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm of the belief that in certain areas, uh, the populations, especially the blue gum koalas, those figures are underestimated because they're trying to limit the problem they're having there. But outside the blue gum plantation, I believe the numbers are exaggerated. And yeah, basically they're wrong. And as any management, the number one management tool is to know the numbers, what you're dealing with. And look, we've, I've stated this before and I'll say it again, pick a number and that's how many koalas there are. That it, It's sort of like koala lotto with the uh, government department. They have no idea. They haven't counted them in years. So how, how could they know? And the scary thing about that, Rob, is that by assuming that everything's fine, they're not taking the steps that they need to protect this important cultural icon, native animal. And and how will it look, you know, in a few years maybe, um, when the world discovers that the Victorian government have been sanctioning the killing of an endangered species in Victoria? And can you imagine if China let, their foresters kill pandas and all the donations that people have given over all these years to to try and support pandas suddenly just just turned into dust it'd be the same with the koala um, we would lose so much credibility worldwide and in our own state if it was found that all this time they were endangered the victorian government was killing them we fear that is exactly what's happening and as long as it's kept quiet, no one will really know about it. We're just isolated voices. But at this rally on Friday, and that's what I'm here to really promote, it's Friday the 18th of November at uh, our Premier Dan Andrews' office, which is 517A, Prince's Highway Noble Park here in Victoria. You have some speakers. Now, who's going to be there? You'll be speaking, of course. I will, Rob. Uh, it will be Jessica Robertson from Ballarat Wildlife Rehabilitation and Conservation speaking. And then Melinda Dara from South Gippsland, um, Friends of Alberton West Forest. Uh, she is writing a statement. She can't be there in person, but we will read out what she has to say. 
And then uh, we'll have a couple of other speakers. We're still finalising some um, at the moment, but we're expecting a really good lineup of koala experts from all over Victoria. And the important thing about this, I think, Rob, is what you said just before. If we remain isolated voices, the government can just keep on down its business as usual path with koalas. If we unite, though, and if we keep hitting them again and again and again, they will have to listen. They just can't ignore us if we unite. I just wonder, who's going to be the environment minister that publicly announces that, yes, our forestry department is dropping trees containing koalas, killing them, displacing them? causing stress to native populations of wildlife. Which minister is going to say that? I can't see Lily owning up to that. <laughs> she, she's had a fairly hard time lately, hasn't she, with big forests? <laughs> oh, no. It, they, they're just being caught red-handed, breaking laws, left, right and centre, aren't they? was just reminded of statements made in, I think it was 2019, by Dan Andrews saying that, 10 years, native forest logging, old growth forest logging will end. But all I've seen since then are reports of little loopholes that were also implemented as to what the definition of an old growth forest is. So if an old untouched tree falls after a lightning strike and opens up the canopy to allow new growth, inside an old growth forest, that's declared no longer an old growth forest, so it can be clear felled. It's absolutely ridiculous. Who's looking after our wildlife? Certainly not those charged with it by the people of Victoria. It falls on volunteers, such as yourself, Jessica, and all the others. Thank you for getting involved. I've gotten to the point now, Rob, where I don't trust talk. I trust action. I don't care what Daniel Andrews says to us when we finally get a meeting with him. I don't care what the next environment minister says. I don't care about their claims, their promises. Anything that hasn't happened is not on the table as far as I'm concerned. And I want to go into these meetings when they happen, and they will, saying, let's see the action. We're looking at your past action and we don't like it. So until you show us some action, we will not stop the rallies, the protests, the media. We're not going to give up because we've learned from their past mistakes, haven't we? My biggest fear is they'll show due concern and say, well, let's get the research done. <laughs> let's, let's stall for another five years. Exactly. And while we're waiting, let's drop some more trees. It'll make yeah. it easier to find the koalas. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And I support research. I think it's really important that that happens and that it's really good objective research. Um, but things need to happen at the same time. So things can actually occur while the research is going on. They know there's a problem with the blue gum plantations. So let's stop the harvesting now while we fix these problems and while you do the research or whatever you need to do, but the stop now is the important thing. Moratorium. 
it's the only thing that makes yeah. any sense. Yep, it does. It does. That's the second item on our koala commandments. And I think even those of us who are not directly involved with the blue gum plantation issue, like myself, I'm outside of that area, um, can see the sense of it. Every koala counts and we can't afford to waste 50,000 of these beautiful animals. The koala commandments. Now, this has just been released. Can you fill us in on that? Yes. So this is 10 urgent actions that we, the United Koala Advocates of Victoria, have decided must happen if we're going to save koalas in this state. So these 10 have all been agreed upon by the 11 signatories so far to this document, and we will have some others before the end of this week. These are things that are urgent, that have to happen. Next term of government, you know, not eight years in the future, and the first one is to commit to immediately ceasing all native forest logging. Immediately. Now, I know in government circles that means stuff around for, I don't know how long, but immediately. We, we want it to happen now. Native forest logging has to stop uh, because it is one of the best ways we can protect koalas into the future because it, it mitigates climate change on a massive scale it's they're our frontline soldiers those trees despite that <laughs> just as as well as the fact that they are homes to koalas they are homes to greater gliders and lead beaters possums and helmeted honey eaters and you know all the important biodiversity that makes up an ecosystem that is what a koala requires to live Koalas aren't, can't live alone in one blue gum. They, they have to have an ecosystem working for them. And those native forests have to stay in the ground. Sounds okay by me. <laughs> You're providing habitat for a wide range of oh. native species, both uh, flora and fauna. So it makes sense. It does. Uh, Vic forests have admitted that they've killed koalas in their state forest logging. Uh, so we know it's happening and we know that those state forests are incredibly important for koalas and wildlife. So the second item on it is immediate moratorium on the blue gum plantation harvesting until a strategy is developed that will work. So the government has got to accept the recommendations of scientists who have already provided them with management strategies that will work, which they're ignoring. They've got to accept those recommendations. They've got to put into place animal welfare considerations that will take account of the fact that koalas are living in those homes down there. They've got to look at alternative habitat arrangements for these koalas. They've got to look at places to put them. I've got places to put them. I've got koala plantations over here that are, that are six years old. You know, a koala trees big enough in four years to, to put a koala in. So they can, I know it's, it's argued, but we, we can't accept those koalas being killed. We can't. The way out is logical and straightforward. It's just that. As you said earlier, 
there needs to be the political will to take the hard actions, and that is to save our koalas. That's right. It can be a temporary halt, but it has to be a halt to blue gum harvesting, Rob, because if we allow them to continue with it while they sort out a strategy, it might take them 18 years, like the last koala strategy. And 18 years is not acceptable. (laughs) Two years is not acceptable. Nothing's acceptable except immediate action. They could do this strategy in six weeks, I reckon, if they had the will. And the only way to get a... uh any government to do anything is to to impose the will of the people. So we need people to stand up and their best opportunity is to get involved with this Friday's rally. That's right. That is right. You know, when the government's not doing their job, it's our job as a public to to tell them. You've just uh, posted the Ten Commandments online. Is there a site? that a listener can go to to read these Ten Commandments? There certainly is, Rob. KoalaClancyFoundation.org.au. You'll see it there on the front page and you can have a read through it and see what needs to be done. I also recommend for people to uh, browse thoroughly uh, that site. A lot of good reading. If you were ever (laughs) in doubt about the situation for koalas in Victoria... And look at it, the world thinks koalas are fully protected. They'd be shocked to find out the situation in South Australia and Victoria because they're deemed to be numerous. Just how yes. numerous, we have no idea. No. Abundant no, they... is a word that's used. No. No. I would never use the word abundant in regards to wildlife because they're so susceptible to nature's uh, changes without human intervention impacting populations as well. So, you know, the whole thing can change in one bad season, can't it? It it can, it can. Rob, the third uh, item on our commandments is to commit funding for regular scientific koala population assessments statewide every five years. So at the moment what's happening is the only koalas that are are known uh, the ones in the populations down along the coast that are considered overabundant. And that's because they're considered to be a problem, a management issue. The government spends the bare minimum that they can um, to find out how many there are and what condition they're in. The bare minimum, I must say. But while they're doing that, they're completely ignoring the koalas around my area, the Yuyangs, the Brisbane Ranges, the Ballarine Peninsula, Inverley, Ballarat, the Wombat Forest, South Gippsland. They, they, they have no idea. Oh, Myrtleford. Yeah. One of our signatories is from Myrtleford. What do they know about koalas in Myrtleford? Nothing. Because, you know, every bit of money that they think they can squeeze for koalas is going into this management problem and they're not even doing a good job of that. So, so there needs to be some commitment to funding to get an idea of what's going on. Now, this is not an unreasonable thing to ask. Um, every other state does something like this. <laughs> it's just Victoria who's lagging. Thank you, Victorian government. I hope someone from the government hears this program and has a, a long, hard think. Oh, good grief. What do you have to do? Mm, Perhaps do your job. And the fourth thing on our list is something that will be dear to your heart. 
fund a comprehensive support package for koala carers, rehabilitators and rescuers. And we would particularly like that, and when we get to the detail stage, to include access to specialised veterinary support 24 hours. Because this is a major problem, I think, for a lot of carers around Victoria is getting access to the wonderful vets out there who know how to handle wildlife when they're trying to have a life as well, you know. (laughs) So how do we support those people when they're doing rescues in the middle of the night? I've heard too often that uh, people involved with rehabilitation and rescue of koalas claim that some of the vets in some areas just automatically euthanize. It's a way of controlling the problem, of eliminating a problem, and that's just horrific to hear. And with some good quality support, you know, maybe those decisions don't need to be taken. Yeah, Um, definitely. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) So I think a lot of people, given the opportunity will do the right thing in that sort of situation. But we need some support. Last year, the government proudly admitted that they gave $2,000 to 87 wildlife carers across the state each. And I thought, $2,000? Really? Do you have any idea the costs these people incur just in vet bills, in medicine, in buying milk for joeys, in fuel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think 2000 is going to go very far. Is it, Rob? Oh, not as far as it used to, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> What's next on our list, Janine? <laughs> Number five is in some ways just so important, um, but harder for us to measure. Take urgent, measurable action to mitigate climate change, starting immediately with no new oil or gas for Victoria. So we we wanted to put something in there that we could check on uh, its progress. And the no, no new oil or gas for Victoria just seems to me an obvious one. It can be stopped right now. They are uh, currently looking at allowing gas drilling near the 12 Apostles on the Great Ocean Road. Uh, This is a Victorian government decision. They can say no to that. So these conversations will not go much further if they say yes (laughs) to to that. You can't mitigate climate change and increase the amount of oil, gas and coal in your state. You can't. I've got no comment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to be polite. Because um, possibly by Saturday, we may have the same Victorian government or we may have a new Victorian government. No matter who is in power, there's a responsibility to stand up for the koala in this state. I suspect we'll be having this discussion uh, with whoever is the next Premier, Rob, regardless of what party they're from. And we will have the discussion. I don't care. They all need to know this, even if we ended up with the best case scenario, (laughs) which I'm sure we all agree. Oh, look, hard hard decisions have to be made, though. (laughs) They're in government to make those hard decisions. And 
as I said, I can't imagine an environment minister standing up and saying, well, listen, Victorians, we're terribly sorry. Uh, we don't want to crush these koalas when we drop the plantation, so we're sending in teams of shooters to shoot them first. What environment minister would survive the onslaught of a statement like that? No one. This country wouldn't tolerate that. But they you are. Think? Yeah, I think they are. <laughs> yeah. Any, I Look, I don't have proof. But I think some actions are being taken down there that they do not want coming out into the public. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hearing the same thing. Are you? Mm. Yeah. And mm. there's uh, population mm. management is such a horrible term. Yes. How about? No, I won't no. say that. <laughs> um, so number six <laughs> is to include protection of koala habitat in state planning laws to legislate for connectivity of the remnant habitat. Review the impact of bushfire overlays on wildlife and review land clearing laws. It's hard to believe that these things haven't already been done. Seriously? We have no protection for koala habitat in Victoria uh, unless it falls under some other category. And a lot of the remnant habitat uh, is disjunct little patches, you know, kilometres apart from each other. When a koala comes down to the ground, uh, it could get hit by a car, it could get trampled by cattle, it could get attacked by a dog. So just connecting those, it's good for everything. It's good for water, especially if they're along the waterways, which is what we mostly promote, is the connectivity of that habitat along a waterway helps the water quality, it, it helps so much biodiversity, and it helps koalas. So why can't we just have some laws in place to support that happening all over Victoria. It'd be so great. And the bushfire overlays on wildlife, bushfire overlays are important, but some consideration needs to be made where blocks are small in places like the Mornington Peninsula. And if there's, if there's a simple equation, which there currently is, that you can clear every tree within 30 metres of your house, You've just wiped out the koala habitat of the whole peninsula, pretty much. So could we look at that in a bit more detail and see whether it can be varied for different areas and see whether something like more of a, a, a local overlay can be looked at so that we're not just cutting down every single tree. <laughs> cutting down every tree doesn't mitigate bushfires anyway. So, so let's look at which ones we're doing so that koalas can still manage to live with people in the places where they do that. Yes, it only takes some sensible environmental zoning considerations to allow people and wildlife to live harmoniously. Absolutely right. It, it, it's not rocket science, is it? <laughs> uh, rocket science we can handle because that is basically <laughs> one plus one equals two. <laughs> so number seven relates to that one too let's require councils to prepare comprehensive koala plans of management before approving um, developments or rezoning in their in their area and and make sure that they are encouraged to do the mapping and the surveying and and find out a bit about that 
their koala habitat in their area so that they can help us protect it. Some councillors are super on side with this. I mean, my council in Geelong is is terrific. They really do listen. Um, but I know not all councils do. And I think for some of them, it may just not have occurred to them because they're taking leadership from their Victorian state government. Next on the list? Uh, big one. This is a clear example of the government not doing its job. The koala management strategy was written in 2004. It has not been updated. It's 18 years late. We have no strategy in Victoria uh, for how to handle koalas in any way at all. So they promised us a new one in August of 2022, and it's, what, November? (laughs) Not only... Is it 18 years overdue? It's 18 years and now three months overdue. And do you think they're going to bother releasing it at all, Rob? Or will we just stay as a draft for absolute forever? We insist that this document is released. If it's got things in it that the government's trying to hide, we want to see what they are and we want to deal with them. Unfortunately, it's probably too late to get it done before the election. They're in caretaker mode. But... We, we need to see this so that we can act on it. It needs to be updated every five years, which is standard practice for koala strategies around Australia. Every other state does it every five to seven years. Why can't Victoria? So embarrassing. Oh, it's so embarrassing. Should have been a high priority after the uh, recent horrors of the bushfires. And now... Yeah. Regional flooding. Thank goodness there is a few natural habitat areas in the flood regions, but all animals are impacted by these major natural disasters. And without a regular update of the strategy, we can't come to terms with the impacts on the native population. Keep going, please, Janine. (laughs) I'm enjoying this. (laughs) Let's allocate government funding to investigate koala road death hotspots, build fencing and wildlife crossings at those locations. I mean, this should have happened 20 years ago. Where are they dying on the roads? It'll give us so much information, and carers often have this information already. a koala crossing isn't actually all that hard or all that expensive. It costs much less than a roundabout. <laughs> but then I think everything costs less than a roundabout. A pole bridge would work for a koala. Half the time there are already structures going over the tops of highways that are just carrying signage or advertising or road signs modify them so a koala could use them. There's so many possibilities that could just save everyone a lot of heartache and a lot of koalas. Good ideas out there. They just need someone to talk to about it. And they work, wildlife crossings. They work. So I was at a conference recently and they said something like 100 million animals are killed on roads um, I don't know if that's Australia, but it was just shocking. The the wildlife death uh, on roads is hard to believe. And it's, it's, it's all sorts of animals, you know, birds, uh, reptiles, uh, big animals, koalas and kangaroos. And um, wildlife crossings work. They save us money. They save a lot of car drivers from a lot of repair costs and lives. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, there's, there's a lot 
of injuries to humans that happen um, when wildlife is struck on roads as well. Uh, there's so many reasons to do this and do it well. Um, and we know it works and they don't attract predators. A lot of people are worried about that, that a fox just sits there and grabs everything as it comes through. It's not been shown to be the case. So there's tons of research about this worldwide. Let's get on board. Let's stop dragging our heels, Victorian government, and let's do something about this. So, Rob, number 10 is to increase funding for koala tree planting in Victoria, especially along waterways, and to connect remnant patches of koala habitat. So this is one that I am personally uh, feel very strong about because uh, this is what we do. There are some areas of Victoria that are mostly agricultural where a lot of the forest uh, was cut down 100 years ago uh, or more, and we can restore a lot of that. Um, very, very fast because koala trees grow really fast when they're beside waterways. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. We can provide habitat for koalas in areas that we know they once used to live and we can connect those rem remnant patches. And down in southwest Victoria, we could very quickly get together a koala tree planting program uh, on public land, um, on private land that is willing to try and do something about the, the habitat issues for those koalas. And in two to seven years, they start using those trees if they're available and if they need to. So let's do it. Um, let's support people to do that. Planting out these waterways would also assist with decreasing the amount of erosion, especially after these recent flood events. So it can actually improve the quality of the private land by adding in these access wildlife corridors. Oh, yes. Uh, one thing that frustrates me so much, Rob, is how difficult it is for our organisation to get funding to do this important work. Everyone loves the idea, but it ends up falling to the community to fund it. We don't get government funding for this. <laughs> Why? Uh, we're, not, we're not big enough for them to give us the big buckets of money and and yet we've got huge targets to achieve enormous targets we, we planted twenty seven thousand six hundred trees this season so we can get a lot of koala habitat in the ground if we just get a little bit of support <laughs> uh, forgive me i'm chuckling away here because in the last interview i remember it was something like 617 trees to be exact i really yes. did love that and as you said just as every koala counts every tree counts yes now this project doesn't really need big buckets of money thrown at it the whole concept can be done with a reliable avenue to gain several small buckets of money a lot can be done when volunteers are involved a lot can be done. It's really very cheap, actually. We work on $10 a tree, which is what it actually really does cost when you put in all the the time, the planning uh, and the maintenance um, to ensure that those trees survive. But still, I mean, what's $10? Really? It's two coffees. <laughs> Certainly the government's got this kind of money. Perhaps if they stopped funding Vic Forest, they'd have that money. I could do a lot with 18 million. Oh, couldn't we all? <laughs> yeah, I'd even go halves with you, honestly. Look, you're on. Let's do it. Right. Uh, we'll replant half of Victoria. <laughs> okay. Look, the, tonight's uh, program is to promote uh, a rally 
the koala leaders unite to demand protection for our Victorian koalas. It's being held at 12 noon on Friday, this coming Friday, the 18th of November, outside the office of Dan Andrews, uh, 517A Prince's Highway, Noble Park, 12 noon. Be there. Janine, if, if you had one thing to finish up on, what do people need to consider about koalas? Are they out of time? No, they're not out of time, but it's getting close. I think what a lot of people need to consider is that even though attending a rally may not be something they normally do, the best minds in koalas have come to the conclusion that we have no choice than to do this. And so trust us. Just come, just come along. You'll meet amazing people who know exactly what needs to be done. Uh, these are people who've been in the koala care world for 35 years in some cases and more. I mean, I've been studying koalas since I was 22 years old. I, I, we might not be celebrities. We might not be scientists but we're informed by science and we know how to take action and we know how to make action happen and this is how we do it so you're not a crazy greenie if you go to a protest rally <laughs> this is this is the way democracy works to show our leaders that something's important to us and that's all we're asking is is that they realize this is important to us and we're not going to stop so you may as well come to this one because if you don't come to this one, you're going to come to the next one and the next one and the next one, and you'll wish you'd come to the first of its kind ever to happen in Victoria. So just come. And we're going to go afterwards to a cafe. We're going to laugh and have coffee. It's it's going to be great fun. We're not going to stop the traffic or or get arrested. We're just going to tell the Premier, you know, hello, we're here and we're watching. That is, uh, uh, of course, unless Dan has a change of heart and uh, invite you all into the office and let's sit down and knock it out this afternoon. <laughs> we'll work out a plan. <laughs> we'll put it into effect on Monday morning. Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> you never know, do you? What's uh, he, maybe he's just waiting for something like this. Uh, Janine, we've got to joke about it because of the seriousness that's the Australian way, isn't it? I mean, as I often say, you've got to get up tomorrow, pull the boots on and get back to work. So you might as well have a laugh today because otherwise you're going to just <laughs> bow your head and wipe the tears. Janine, thank you for your time. Mate, koalas are worth it. They yeah. are so great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> a pleasure. That uh, Janine Duffy from Koala Clancy Foundation. Go to koalaclancyfoundation.org.au and check out the 10 Koala Commandments. Janine, you have a good one. Thank you so much, Rob. Bye. For more information, go to koalaclancyfoundation.org.au. Thank you so much, Janine. Following on, more koala issues. You've often heard us talk about data, accurate data, and how it doesn't exist. While well, Kelly Smith, an ecology student, is preparing 
the Southern SCAT project to gather accurate data, DNA, on koalas. For more information, let's hear from Kelly. Kelly, first of all, thank you for having a chat with us at such short notice. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. You're involved with koala research. Can you tell us what you are doing at the moment? Yeah, at the moment, I'm um, just about to finish my thesis for my honours degree at Federation University. So my project was um, a genetic study of the Mornington Peninsula koala population using volunteers. So, um, yeah, we were just wanting getting volunteers to help me collect koala scats and we wanted to find out first, we wanted to understand their genetic diversity, but um, most importantly we wanted to find out um, whether they are actually remnants, whether they are from the translocated French island um, koala population or whether they're remnants of the original population. Um, And then we also were looking at diseases and um, so the two main ones were chlamydia and koala retrovirus A and also wanted to know, yeah, just any evidence of um, isolation or any evidence of inbreeding. We wanted to learn about their demographics, their, uh, their abundance. For our <laughs> listeners that may not have heard the term scat before, it's a technical term. Basically, you examine the poo of koalas. Yeah, so we examine the the DNA from the poo. So the the the, the DNA is located on the outside of on the surface of the scat. So it's located in the epithelial cells. So as it passes through the the bump, the bottom, <laughs> um, it has a layer of shiny, a, a nice shiny coat on it, and so that's where the DNA is located. So we have to isolate. Um, that, that that DNA from the scat to find out if yeah, all of this information that we find out from the DNA. So, so Kelly, you need to find fresh scat. Yeah, yep, fresh scat. Uh, I've seen piles of dry scat under koala trees, uh, and I imagine that would be difficult to extract DNA from. So you need to find fresh scat from koalas. And find yeah. out about the health of the population. Yeah, you don't necessarily need to see the koala. You just need to know which koalas to look under. I, I, I don't think I saw one koala for my study and we collected 132 scat samples. So um, I, I was just looking for the koalas, the koala trees and just looking at the evidence of any koalas eating those trees and usually you'll find scats underneath them. But, yeah, the DNA... Um, quite fragile so it'll get affected by rain or even mildew so I found lots of scats that were really fresh like you know done that day but because it was a really really foggy night or foggy morning the DNA um, actually came off of it and it didn't it the scat sample didn't work. What type of results were you getting from the DNA studies? Part of the results were to see how effective volunteers were at collecting quality scats so good quality scats this is compared to scat detection dogs as well. So we found that they were had a 60% success rate. So, so for example, if you collected 100 scat samples, 60 of them would work. So 60 of them would be good enough to um, for further analysis to find out whether um, they're male or female or whether they've got diseases or also 
find out where they're actually from. So whether they're remnants uh, or of the South Gippsland koala population or whether they're remnants of the translocated French Island, Phillip Island koalas. It is a big issue. It's almost like at some time in the future, the government will decide the outcome for Victorian koalas based upon their genetic origin. But there seems to be little or no concern for the remnant populations of the original koalas before translocation. What evidence are you getting from down your way about the uh, population? So um, in the end, I could only sample 46. So I collected for, um, 132 samples, but I could only analyse 46 because of the, the cost involved. It goes through a process. It's kind of like an elimination process. So I've collected 46. In the end, I found that 26 of the Mornington Peninsula koalas were remnants of descendants of the, the, the French island koalas, which we assumed anyway. And then we found five South Gippsland koalas, which were remnants of the South Gippsland koalas. A couple of those samples were found around the, wood, um, the Western Port Woodlands, so they haven't been found there before. Um, especially particularly in the Grantville Reserve, uh, they locals have said that they haven't heard koalas in there for a long time, but we know that they're in there. And so that's, yeah, that's a hot spot to go in and collect and find some more information. Victorian koalas are suffering from lack of management, and I use the word management where I'd rather use the word conservation. And any research that's done is going to be important for us to manage populations uh, such as the Streslecki koalas. Yeah, so this this project follows on from Faye Wedowich's study of the Streslecki koalas. So she was one of my supervisors and so is Fiona Hogan. Um, and then we're going to work on another project starting up soon um, where we're going to try and collect scats from across the whole of Victoria. So each scat, it's, it's, go it's going to be very expensive and this is probably why... Uh, the government is a little bit reluctant to do any genetic studies because normally um, genetic studies are done through blood tissue sampling. So to catch a koala to do those samples costs around $3,000. And the other option is to collect samples, um, you know, through animals that have been killed on roads or, or in vet, come into veterinary care. But then it's not really representative of the wild population, whereas if we can collect scats, out in the wild, in, you know, that's more representative of the wild population and it's really easy to do. Um, so one, one koala will cost about $150 to sample to genetically analyse rather than $3,000 plus. It would probably cost more than that actually. So, yeah, this is um, something that everyone can do. We can all be involved in this and... It's really empowering for the community to be involved in projects like this because you've got genetic evidence coming in of what's actually happening within these populations. So you might have like a couple of an isolated population of possibly remnant koalas in there and an ecologist might say go in and survey that and say, yep, there's this population's isolated, it's possibly inbreeding but when we go in and analyze the scats analyze the dna then we've got the evidence and that's really powerful it's a really powerful tool 
um, because, you know, it's, it's applied research with real conservation outcomes and you can't dispute it. Kelly, what's missing at the moment from koala management in Victoria is accurate data. We, we have no accurate idea of even how many koalas there are in Victoria. No, I think the CSIRO is starting up their surveying program, um, national surveying program, but it would work well with, you know, some kind of genetic studies as well. So, yeah, I've just been approved for $20,000 to start a koala awareness program with the Western Port Biosphere Reserve. So I'm still waiting on that money to come through. But, yeah, once that's come through, we want to get as many volunteers as possible to come in and help collect scats from all of their private properties, uh, any reserves, and we'll get them all analysed and find out, you know, if they've got any, what diseases they have, what sex they are, find out where they're from. Are they, are they from the original population? or they've translocated koalas, um, we'll find out whether there's any inbreeding occurring. Yeah, they're everything. <laughs> and the thing that amazed me, you mentioned it earlier, scat dogs. Now, what an advancement that is. Yeah, so up north, so Wild DNA, who does the genetic analysis of these scats, um, who will be analysing the scats from the Koala Awareness Program, they also work with OWAD, so O-W-A-N, Scat Detection Services. Um, so they're professional ecologists who take their scat detection dogs out and are working on some massive projects up north and having a lot of success um, with changing um, a lot of legislation and um, planning permits and stuff like that. Just the idea of a scat dog. Just amuses me. <laughs> so, yeah, so basically they're working up there with scat detection dogs and those dogs are working in exactly the same way as the volunteers would be working down here. Also volunteers can down here can also, um, a lot of people have dogs that are very good at, collect, um, you know, sniffing out scat, so they're welcome to volunteer on the project as well. So we've I've, I compared like, the results, the 60% success rate for this project compared to scat detection dogs, and they have about an 80% success rate. So a little bit different, but still pretty pretty awesome. Um, so the good thing about using volunteers is that the volunteers can go onto private properties and they can also go along roadsides, whereas the scat detection dogs are really limited. You can't let them off into private properties and you can't let them off the lead along the roadsides. But they're really good at doing the larger reserves, whereas volunteers, it's a bit hard to ask volunteers to go traipsing through the bush. Volunteers are quite used to us asking them to go traipsing through the bush, regardless. Kelly, <laughs> uh, may I ask, how, how did you become interested in the koala? Oh, I, it's always been a dream, like a in the back of my mind dream of working with koalas. Um, I've, I've grown up with animals and worked with animals ever since I was 16, followed the ranger around like a bad smell, dissected every single dead animal <laughs> that I found, um, worked as a veterinary nurse, I've cared for that many animals, I'm always rescuing animals. And, yeah, like just doing uni, someone said to me when I first started, like what animal are you going to specialise in? And I just remember saying 
I don't know, they all need saving. So I thought of an animal that, you know, is an umbrella species that you could protect, which protects all the other animals and plants really. And so, yeah, I just, um, I've worked with koalas in zoos before and Fiona was one of my lecturers at, at uni and I just remember thinking I'd love to work with her and do a project. And so this project that I'm doing now actually started out as my third year project and I actually hassled the hell out of her to <laughs> let me work with her on a project and, yeah, so she she took me on as a third year student, which she doesn't normally do, and she some a lot of times doesn't even take on honors students either, especially a student who doesn't really have any idea of DNA. So it was pretty hard for me to understand all of this genetic stuff. I'm not really good with it, but yeah, I've managed to finish it nearly. <laughs> and that's just the starting point. About six months ago, I um, got in contact with a program manager from the Western Port Biosphere Reserve and. And I just asked him if he had any projects that he wanted me to work, that he that I could work on. And he said, oh, to be honest, I think you're going to be bored with our projects. So how about we create your own one? I said, oh, okay, cool. This is what I'm doing at the moment. Could we do something like this? You know, so I put a proposal together, you know, talking about doing the genetic analysis, SCAT collection, but also um, creating biolinks as well within the Western Port Reserve. Yeah, and so he said, yeah, that's cool. Let's um, let's get some grant funding. And so I applied for a grant. I've got a couple of grants. I'm still waiting on another one to come through. And, yeah, and I got it. So I got my first one. So we'll start this project soon. It's like creating your own dream job. I did. I created my own dream job. Uh... And it's such an amazing – if we can get this happening – it's going to be such an amazing outcome, I'm hoping. I believe that it will. Now, if there's anyone listening to this program that would like to be involved with the SCAT project, is there a simple way for them to contact you? Well, if they've got Facebook, they can go on Facebook and, and, and like the Southern Koala SCAT project. So that'll have all the information on it. It's got my email on it as well. If they don't have Facebook, they can email me at so it's Kelly Smith, Kelly with a Y, Kelly Smith Ecology at Outlook.com. On the Facebook page, there's also a link to a fundraising page as well for the project. So, yeah, this is going to be a really expensive project. Um, it's going to cost $100,000. I don't know. It's going to thousands of dollars it'll cost. That is nothing compared to what the government's poured into Vic Forest to drop trees onto koalas. So, you know, I mean, 18 million last year they subsidised Vic Forest for, so I'm sure some decent koala research should be able to get some funding. Yeah, I hope so. Maybe they can throw some money my way. This project ticks for at least four of the um, action plans that are listed in the Victorian Koala Management Strategy Plan. So. Hopefully we get some more funding. <laughs> I'm seeing they're wanting this information and this information can be easily easily collected by all of us. And I just think that, you know, this is not just about the koala, this is about all animals and plants, that, but the koala is the star, you know, and 
if we can get the koala saved and the habitat of the koala saved and get some kind of protection for the koala, then we're essentially protecting every other animal, plant and animal. And I think that we it's going to take a lot of people to get this project done and I think it's really empowering to get the whole community together and bridge the gap between scientists and you know the community because we all have so much information to share and we all need to come together and be a team for the koala. I read recently a a saying that says uh, reform requires a crisis and I feel we are at crisis point now. Uh, Something needs to be done and more research with actual data needs to be established very quickly because I fear our state government has no idea what to do with the Victorian state koalas. No, I think there's too many chiefs. There's too many people, you know, too busy trying to tell each other what to do and not enough people actually doing anything. I think everyone's confused really. Too many opinions, but but this can get done. We can do this. We don't need to wait. We can do this. We can collect scats. We can analyze them. We can find out that information and just hand a report to them. Sounds too simple. I mean, they haven't even done a population count in the last 15 years. We can learn the population estimate through collecting the scats. Kelly, look, keep in contact. As the project moves forward, please keep us uh, up to date and we'd love to pull out calls when you're chasing some volunteers to get down there uh, to be poo catchers for koalas. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, I'd love to see that on a T-shirt. I have my friend designed um, a little logo for the SCAP project on Facebook that's got a little koala in a tree with a little poo at the bottom of it. So I reckon they do really well with T-shirts and hats. Oh, the other thing we're doing for the Koala Awareness Program is we're going to go into schools as well and teach all the kids about it and each kid will get a a, a tree to plant. So we either plant it in the school or we'll plant it somewhere else and teach them about, you know, scats and what information they can learn from that. We'll also get like a koala suit and, yeah, it's going to be cool, like a, a really fun um, way for kids to learn all about, you know, koalas and, and other animals. Koalas are not complex animals. Oh, well, they are, but they need trees. Yeah. Trees are their home, their protection, their feed source. They don't need an awful lot, but no. they do need trees. That's it. And there's lots of other animals that need the same tree as well. Kelly, thank you so much for your time. That's all right. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) And good luck with that scat collection. Thank you. I'll keep you posted. Thank you, Kelly. If you'd like to get in contact with Kelly, email kellysmithecology at outlook.com. Now that's K-E-L-L-Y, Kelly Smith Ecology at Outlook.com. Also check out the Southern Koala Scat Project on Facebook. All right, that's it for another program. Till next time, be safe. This is The Wildlife. <laughs>